What's up, guys? This is Kelly, and welcome to the Ringer Podcast Network. Recently on the Winging It Podcast, Vince Carter and Annie Finberg sat down with NBA All-Star Kyle Lowry and recording artist Timmy. This week, 2017 first overall pick Markel Fultz joins the show to talk about living up to expectations and working his way back from injury in the NBA. Make sure to check out Winging It on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to The Pod Has Spoken, The Ringer's Survivor Recap Podcast. I'm Riley McAtee. I'm your host. Every Thursday, I'll be here on The Ringer Dish Feed to recap the latest episode of Survivor. This week, I'm joined in the studio by someone I would totally use as a meat shield to hide my threat level. It's Sean Yu. Come on in, guys! <laughs> all right. That's just me uh, welcoming the audience. Riley, thanks for having me on. We talk Survivor all the time. I'm glad we could finally do it on mic. You are one of the biggest Survivor fans in the office. I think we talk about the show almost every single week, so I have really high expectations <laughs> that this pod is going to be a really high-level discussion hey, for me us. me too, man. Uh, yeah, basically, I mean, we talk about Survivor constantly constantly for the last few seasons and every thursday i know you'll wander into the editorial (laughs) office and i'll grab you and we'll basically talk for like 45 minutes i'm excited man i'm really looking forward to this talk so today we're breaking down episode four of winners at war this was another really great episode we had an all-time great edge of extinction segment that we're going to talk about we had an unbelievable challenge and the end of the episode was Tyson getting blindsided. So let's get started. Our first segment, we call this Tribal Council. This is sort of just our meat and potatoes discussion of the episode. Let's start with the Tyson vote. Sean, do you think it made sense to vote out Tyson? Uh, we, t- we talked real briefly before starting this pod, and it's, it was obviously between Tyson and Nick. Yep. And I think you could have talked me into both sides. I think the Nick vote, um, you could have talked me into breaking up that alliance that's, we're going to talk about it later on the pod, but that's my favorite alliance on the show right now, the Wendell, Yule, Sophie, Nick alliance. You're calling it like the under the radar alliance? I, I've been calling it the lone wolves. Lone wolves. Because they're like the, what, what connects them is that they have all played only once and don't have any other connections. Right. And that would have, the Nick vote would have hurt them a lot. And I think, the cool part of seeing that vote is Tony's late reaction. I guess they edited it that way, but his late reaction on holy, holy crap, if if Tyson leaves, there goes our meat shield. It's me, Sandra, or Sarah or Kim and Sarah. Like all of us have the target on our backs. And for that reasoning, I think the Tyson vote is gonna hurt them. Granted, their threats, regardless of if Tyson goes home or not. And I think I think a big thing is they mentioned on the show is Tyson's connections throughout the tribe, whether it's his own tribe or the other tribe, he has enough people he knows where he's a threat if he hits the merge and get him out now, right? It, it really like brought joy to my heart to see <laughs> Tony finally get into paranoid, yes, scrambling Tony sprint. mode. It's just not a survivor season with him without that. Uh-huh. So it was so classic to see that. I think that the person who actually explained the dynamic happening in this episode the best is Tyson. So Mm -hmm. I have a clip from that. We'll just play it now. If I sit back and think about the tribe, the bigger threats are going after each other. And the people who are less connected or who have only played the game one time, they're not even on anybody's radar. People like Wendell, Nick, Yule, and I don't even know who the last one is. Sophie, so under the radar that I did not even know her name. 
Tyson is a really funny guy, but he's almost funniest when he doesn't mean to be. It's just yeah. on accident. He yeah. had this in this episode, and then he had at the very end where he's like, you guys should have a ton of firewood. And they were like, oh, dude. <laughs> um, but I think that he explains this really well. You have a number of players who are flying under the radar, and his argument to Sandra and to Tony and Kim and Sarah is they are all the big threats, and that if they don't stick together, they'll go home. And the thing is, is that even though they voted Tyson out, I think Tyson was right. So they, right. They are the big fish, and they're they're now only four of them. They lost a number. Yeah, I mean, it's it's so fascinating how far Tyson sees ahead in the game and how his brain works because he really broke the game down how we see it because we see all angles and he's on the island in the midst of all this paranoia and no food and was able to see four or five steps ahead. And, you know, we'll talk about this later, but Sandra, she kind of downplayed it. She's like, yeah, obviously I know that, but my game is day to day. I'm focused on this vote right now and you're my biggest threat. And the, the, I don't know if you went back on YouTube and saw the full Tyson vote. It was a landslide. Yeah. Like, aside from Nick voting Kim and Tyson consensus. voted Nick, it was consensus Tyson. And that is shocking to see Tony, Sarah especially, change their vote the other side. Because you had that whole scene with Sarah and Tyson flirting and, you know, kind of being buddy-buddy. I was like, I really thought this second wave was going to head towards Nick. There's a clear contrast here between Tyson, who sees the big picture and plays a long-term game and is looking three or four steps down the line, and Sandra, who, as she says, is okay if it's anyone but her and just wants to get through the next tribal, make everybody happy, and move on. And I think that what makes everybody go to Sandra's side in this scenario is the tribe swap. Yeah. They don't know. Obviously, we see on the next episode segment that a tribe swap is coming. Mm-hmm. They don't know for sure that it was coming before the next tribal council, but they probably had a suspicion that it was coming up very soon. And so my theory is by having this consensus vote for Tyson, Sandra and Sarah and Tony mm-hmm. and Kim all kind of keep the peace with the players that they're already on a tribe with and they can continue to work with them to get nick out here would have required blindsiding everybody and so you would have built up a lot of bad blood and you might be going into the game shaking up which could really screw you over i mean here's the cool thing about this pending tribe swap is the sarah tony kim group now and sandra they're a group and then you have the next four wendell tyson i mean wendell yule nick and sophie And seeing how that four will split up and who comes back on the merge, I think will have big implications for the rest of the game. And, you know, if Tyson was left for that, you know, three teams tribe swap that we think that's most likely going to happen, three teams of five, like Tyson has an advantage in nearly every scenario that could play out. Like he has his current four that he's with now. He has a few on the other side and he's just generally like an under the radar friendly guy and can coast to the merge in that way. And once in the once he's in the merge, he's arguably one of the more dangerous players in the game. And so, like like I said earlier, I think it's the right vote. I know me and you kind of wanted Nick gone just to it, shake things up, and it would have made a lot, things a lot more interesting. But yes. <laughs> on paper, I think this is the right vote. It was funny to me, though, that obviously Tyson does have a ton of connections. Yet, when he has to bequeath his fire token to somebody, he's like, oh, I'd rather just swallow it. It's like, and then he gives it to Nick. And it's like, well... 
if you have so many connections, wouldn't you give it to Rob or somebody? Wouldn't you give it to somebody you're connected to? Maybe he wasn't really as well connected as everyone says. Yeah. Uh, or he just doesn't care. I, I think <laughs> it might be actually be the latter. I think just he's just a, a DF player and <laughs> a joy to watch. So um, let's move on. Let's talk about this Edge of Extinction segment, Whew. which I know I've been very skeptical about Edge of Extinction. Mm-hmm. I think that you are similarly mixed on it. Yeah. Uh, I, I think I have the same things as you do. My whole thing is... As when Edge is good, like last night, it's really good and it makes the show great. It adds an emotional aspect of the show that you don't normally get. I actually choked up when, you know, the rest of the three ended up walking with Ethan on his final walk. I thought that was a really powerful and an emotional moment. It was incredible. Yeah, it really was. But for me, I think we, we you said right before, it was about like 10 minutes. It clocked in around nine, 10 minutes. And for me, that just takes away from other gameplay that I would rather see on the island. And my whole take of all of this is Survivor should be two hours. Uh, Yeah. I talk about this with Amelia, who does our Bachelor recaps, and she's also just jumping on the Survivor train um, this season after, you know, being a fan previously. Bachelor gets two two two-hour episodes a week. That's way too long. For They don't even have challenges. It's just people drinking and trying to have sex with each other for four hours in a week. And Survivor gets... 45, 49 minutes with commercials? Yeah. Like, is CBS just, like, misthinking this? Like, make it two hours at minimum 90 minutes. I, the 90-minute problem is probably they can't get a sitcom that's 30 right. minutes that fills that backslot. But two hours, who's going to complain about Winners at War being two hours? You can spend 15 minutes on Edge of Extinction, and I wouldn't care. 90 minutes would be the sweet spot for yes. me. Because I don't, I don't want it to be too long either. I don't want the show to become a chore to get through. Right. Uh, one of the, its strengths, I think, over 20 years has been that it's very tight yep. and very easy to watch. And then when they do have a two-hour episode, you really get to feel it and, like, yeah. enjoy that large chunk. Usually there are two tribal councils in two-hour episodes. So we're talking about 90 to two hours for one tribal council, which would yep. be a lot. But I think if there's a season to do it, Winners at War was the season. Look, just it put feels mom, like a miss. Just put Mom on the back half. Like, put a rerun of Mom yeah. on the back half. Yeah. No one's going to complain. Uh, so... That said, we're we're skeptical about Edge of Extinction. This episode, though, had the best Edge of Extinction segment that we've ever seen, probably. Um, There's two clips that I want to play from this because I was greedy and I basically just can't pick one. (laughs) So let's start with this Ethan when he first starts to really feel it going up and down the steps. Pick it up. Pick it up. Pick it up. You okay? Yeah. Stop. Sit. Yeah. No, I just did. It's a tough challenge right now, and I'm um, struggling to get through it. So I gotta finish my sundown. So I'm going as fast as I can. I'll go until my legs collapse, or the sun goes down. I may not finish, but. I'm not going to stop. So that wow. was just so tense. The music through this segment was so good, too. There was yeah. a point where it was like kind of like rock-inspired mm-hmm, almost, mm-hmm. and then this where it gets just really tense. I-, I was feeling it for this. We have another clip. Let's play Let's play this one. I wanted to set a good example for like everyone who's been through a health challenge and thinks they can't do it anymore. Like, you can do it. You can get through those hard moments. 
and I just sucked it up. You got this. You've been through a lot worse things. Like I kept saying to myself, like, remember when you were like getting spinal taps, when you were getting radiation, and I started saying like the mantras I was using when I was getting chemotherapy to kind of get me through these hardest moments. So this was so just good. So moving. Man. I think the, the the best part about Edge of Extinction continues to be, you know, the heavy emotional toll that being isolated on the island has on these people. The no food, the 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 complete just like a, being away from the game. You're separated from all of that while you're already separated when you're playing the game from your family and your friends in the real world. So I think like, you know, not that I, I, I you know, enjoy this in any way, but I, I really love... And I get entertained by when players just break down on Edge of Extinction. Like they, it's an emotional breakdown. And this this challenge, it's it was twenty logs back and forth. And when they showed the wide shot, my roommate and I kind of tried to do the math on how long one way would be. And it, you know, we were like kind of guessing like a little more than half a mile. And so if you add that back and forth twenty times, it comes out to about anywhere from like twelve to fifteen miles. And, and they were going up too. Yeah, so I think I think the climbing. Yeah, that's really tough. Thing. And the no food, no water, extreme heat, and this challenge really broke a lot of people. Except for was it Danny who like came down? I was like, woo, that was great. While like Amber and Natalie are like bawling their eyes out. Natalie also like, like she's Na- a beast. Natalie, yeah, she had a, a a bit of a breakdown after, but she also completed the thing in like ninety minutes. So she like sprinted through it. it just she a probably CrossFit wad for her, you know. She could have taken some time. <laughs> yeah, I think that Edge of Extinction. We what we don't like about it is when it distracts from the gameplay and from the players who are actually still trying to mm-hmm. survive in in the real game. It becomes just another piece that takes away from these short 44-minute episodes. But in this scenario where it's being used to drive the story and drive the characters, I think you and I were both disappointed that Ethan went home so early in this game. Oh, I don't want to talk we about now, it. We now get more of his story arc. We get to see uh, his struggle with cancer and everything that he's been going through. That adds to the story building, and mm-hmm. I think it works in this scenario. And so I, I guess my current take on Edge of Extinction is this. At its worst, it's not very good. But at its best, it's at least better than a reward challenge. I, I, I mean, I totally agree with that. And you don't really get any inspiring moments like that. You know, otherwise what it's like Adam just stuck on the top of the thing. But like... That more, was great. That was great. It's really inspiring. But like this is like pure pure just like motivation for people Ethan just being a two-time cancer survivor just like that pick it up clip that you played is just like really inspiring and then the suck it up one after where he's like I've gone through spinal taps I've gone through all of this like this is not hard and you know he's he's pushing it out to other people who are watching the show like millions of people watch the show and how many people are inspired from this 10-minute segment it it does a lot and it has a lot of impact but I agree with you when there's other game being played, and maybe there's not much going on on Edge of Extinction. They should cut it down to two, three I'm, minutes, you know? And I'm still skeptical that the Edge twist can ever really work on a newbie season because yep. one of the keys here is that we're familiar with Ethan. And we're familiar with Amber and Natalie and Danny as well. So we have a story to tell with them. Mm-hmm. If we if he had been the third boot and we didn't know who he was, this wouldn't have worked as well. Wouldn't have the same impact. The other thing I want to talk about. Let's do it. Is the challenge. <sighs> wow. 
I uh, the challenge is often a time for me to kind of pull out my phone a little bit and kind of just watch in the background. We've seen most of the challenges before. I know and... it always comes down to the puzzle at the end. Always, too. Yeah. It's fine. <laughs> this was a great challenge, an all timer. DeCall really blew a 3-1 lead. That was some Warriors level blowing of a lead. It was 28-3. Oh my God, like all of that. So at at a certain point when DeCall is up big, like you said, I looked down on my phone and I was like, well, it's over. Nick's already done this puzzle before. I know. And it's not that, it's not one of the more difficult puzzles. And I was like, all right, you know, like they they blew it. Uh, Adam's going to go home. This is great. Like I wanted to see Adam go home and I wanted to see Rob assert his dominance. I guess like the thing in Survivor is when you have so much time, you kind of get a little careless and a little carefree. And then the pressure that builds once they get to the puzzle, the other team gets to the puzzle, that pressure is like, you can't really fight that. You really can't fight that stress that's got put on you when you, when in your mind, you've known you've had maybe 20, 25 minutes on this puzzle yeah. And now they're nearly at the same spot as you. When Jeff like runs back and he's like, they've come back. They're at the same spot. Like, are you kidding me? No one looked at the other side of the puzzle because oh to us God. from the, from the uh, angle that we were getting on TV, it was so obviously wrong. There was a whole missing section of it. <laughs> and all they had to do was have one person walk to the other side and go, wait, pull this piece out. We need to start over. But forever, they just didn't do that. I think that we also, we see this happen with challenges so often where they come down to the puzzle and it's the only thing that matters. And I kind of wonder if it takes like five minutes to get through whatever obstacle course is before the puzzle and like 25 minutes to get through the puzzle because it's just there's often comebacks in that segment. Man, like, yeah, because like if you think about it, like the, the having the four people, you know, swim the boat over is really cool. I, I think that's just a fun thing. But like it wasn't a difficult challenge by any means. And it's, you're right. It's the puzzle that gets people caught up and it really comes down to a mental game. Like we saw Rob earlier in this season, take two puzzles and blow it. Well, one of them, he, they were trying to come back on and they almost did. He actually, he wasn't too bad in that one. There was the other one where they were like, let's lay out all the pieces and that's right. That's right. And they got blown out like bad strategy. And puzzles are really just a hit or miss. And I, it makes sense why these survivor challenge makers always put them at the end or, you know, make one of the like elimination, you know, single challenges, like a large puzzles, because it really, the puzzle on paper could be simple, but because of all the lack of food and energy that is going to your brain, like it can really complicate things. And because of the, also the added paranoia of being on the Island, like your brain's probably working in 12 different ways, having a ton of inner monologues while you have Jeff Propes yelling at you that you're about to lose this lead. I, I, I just can't imagine the stress one would be under in a puzzle in a situation like that, regardless of how big of a lead you have. I tend to think that a lot of times when people screw up on Survivor, whether it's a strategy screw up or a challenge mess up, we can kind of chalk it up to they're starving and sleep deprived. <laughs> yeah, we yeah. kind of forget that yeah. a lot. But it was great to see Rob back as the puzzle king. He's He has a reputation as being unbelievable at challenges uh-huh. that was kind of waning a bit this season yeah. with the, those performances that you mentioned. Uh, and to watch him, I mean, it was like every piece oh, he and Michelle oh, put in oh, oh. W- was correct. They didn't need to pull anything. No. It, it was like they had an instruction manual. It was unbelievable. And one of the coolest things on the last note is hearing Jeremy, when they're close, they have like three pieces left, hearing, hearing him go, oh my God. 
oh my god. Yeah. Because like it was just such a shocking win that like even them survivor veterans are like, how are we gonna win? We're winning this. Are and you they kidding? Needed it too. Huge if you lose win for them. Three yeah. in a row. It's rough. I mean, maybe Adam would have been the obvious vote. Maybe Parvati or Rob would have been an easy target. But that's just tough for your tribe. I know. I know. Thank um, God they won though. Also. Adam, weird performance for him in this challenge. He missed he so he missed so many jumps, but he actually ended up getting all three of the keys. They were all three him. That was also great to see them win that after his performance. I was feeling bad for him. It's funny, like he definitely made up for the challenge in a little bit, but I was like, why why weren't Denise and Parv? Like, I know they couldn't get it the first or two times, but like when he was in the midst of him swimming up back to the buoy, why weren't they just giving chances like why like waste that opportunity and like just I, literally wait till he gets up the stairs again you know i wonder if they realized maybe he was the only one tall enough um, most likely or maybe they edited out another right, jump right, from right. denise or, that, or that's probably it the Harvey, which would have made it even more unbelievable i mean who knows i think he hit it on his fourth one he had like three misses on that last one before getting it and look if he didn't get it Again, he would have gone home, and what a what a change for his game. And now that he was on the outs of his tribe for the most part, potential tribe swap. The dude is a really good social player, probably one of the best in the recent years, and he has a chance to really change the, the flow of his game. Which I don't like him as a player. We strategically, about he needs to change some of <laughs> some things about his approach. Yeah. But uh, yeah, he also has him potential. like pouting around tribe, like just getting coconuts for people when like he had the like open coconut and it like he went through the line. It was like Rob's like, nah, Jeremy's <laughs> like, nah, Ben's like, nah. And he's like, what? Really? No one? Rob telling him, so you can just play like a puppy dog now? And him being like, well, yeah, yeah <laughs> it was yeah. pretty great. It's hilarious. Um, you mentioned the tribe swap. I want to look forward a little bit and talk about that too. So we know we're going into 15 players left. That means if there's a swap, we expect three tribes of five, which could mean anything. That's a really chaotic tribe Man, swap because yeah. you you can just get, you know, a two, three split very easily or a one, four split where a vote's really obvious. It could be the thing that screws over a, a Parvati, a Rob, mm-hmm. a Sandra, whoever. Um, I, I remember in Game Changers, a tribe swap was partially attributed to Sandra being voted out. Yep. So who do we think will get helped? Who do we think will get hurt by this tribe swap? Um, so we obviously don't know what the tribes will be yet. Right. So I think the lone wolf, my my lone wolf guys and and Sophie are gonna be okay. I think I think those four have an opportunity to hang on into the merge and reestablish their alliance. Sarah Tony, I think they have a really strong bond. The what are they? The cops for us. Cops are us. Cops are us, and they have their new handshake that they showed yesterday. Yep. Um, I think I think they if if either of them make the merge, or if the both of them make the merge, that's fine. Splitting them up is tough. Rob Parv, I think it works in both of their favors, regardless of the switch. They're they're going to be a threat, but they're both good social players where they can pick a person or pick two, three people to, to, to mold to. I want to ask you a question. Do you believe last night during tribal, I think, uh, I forgot who it was, but someone was like on the DeCall tribe is like, regardless of what happens. And I think it was Adam. He's like, I'm DeCall. Like my vote's always going to be DeCall. I'm with you guys. And then everyone obviously raised their hand. Who on that tribe do you actually believe will stay loyal to DeCall? I don't think, <laughs> I, I don't believe that. And I don't think anyone, anyone? on yeah. that tribe believes that that was, all for show. I mean, it actually kind of 
came off as like amateurish to me. I yes. was like, come on, guys, we're playing Survivor. We all know <laughs> that you're going <laughs> to flip and realign. Like, no one's like to call strong on an all winners season. Uh, this isn't, you know, th- that that is like such an old school. Like, that's mm-hmm. something that people did 10 years ago and was totally a strategy. But now, if you find it, you're on the bottom, you flip. Here's where I think the eyes go, though, is Oliver's new is still a recurring theme this season and a one, a one that like dictates alliances. And so far, we really haven't, like, basically no new school player has gone. You might be able to say Natalie's a little bit more on the new school side, but she's cer- she's certainly not a Wendell or a She Nick has all these connections, yeah. Michelle. I mean, the, the people who have played really recently are all still around. Yep. And I wonder what dynamics that will cause. Like, what if it's like a 3-2 where it's like three olds and two young and— if they automatically lose, like boom, you take out the take out the new people, and I think that dichotomy is going to really have a have a you know reoccurring thread throughout the rest of the season, especially into the merge. And once it's at the merge, it's like, well, now everyone's a threat, you know? Yeah, I think that Adam really needed this shakeup. He Huge. just needs to get on with anybody who is not on his tribe already, because nobody there will trust him again. So you just have to shake it up for him. And I actually think we get the clip of Rob being like, you know, I really don't like this part of the game, but I think it might help him. He is on the bottom. He was very likely to get targeted next. Uh, As he was saying in this episode, he was at everyone else's mercy. There's a chance he gets on a tribe where that's not the case. And we see the way he plays the game. He's good in any situation. He's a chameleon. Another person who I think, and it's it's a great transition, but like, I think Sandra's really going to benefit from this. I think she the, could. the way she plays her game and the timing of her game is so fascinating how it usually works out in her favor of Tyson going home. We were like, oh God, there goes the meat shield, but she can easily just find another meat shield in this, in this, in this three-way swap. I think another person that could benefit is Kim, who's obviously on the bottom in her tribe. With the asterisk that we're still not sure if Sophie gave her half of the idol back to him. Oh, right, yeah. So if they get separated and that hasn't happened, that exchange hasn't occurred, Kim might just not have an idol, Mm -hmm. right? There'd Mm -hmm. be no way for them to reconnect. Uh, So it's unclear what would happen there. With that, let's move on to our next segment. This is the archetype breakdown. So in this section, we break down ways for players to play the game and hopefully win the game. It's kind of your overall grand strategy going through. This week, we're going to break down the anybody but me strategy. So this is the Sandra strategy. We could just call it that. (laughs) Uh, She's embodied this on multiple seasons. Basically, somebody who goes in with no long-term big picture plan, but just goes into every vote and says, hey, if it's not me, that's cool. And you just move Mm -hmm. forward one step at a at a time, you understand that the game gets reshuffled constantly, and so you don't need to plan a bunch of steps ahead. Now, granted, the downside is if you only focus on the short-term game, you might eventually hit a dead end and not be able to advance or get to final tribal council and not get any votes. Um, Sandra actually explains her strategy herself in a clip in Tribal Council that I'll play. Jeff, some people have plans, and some might just say, hey, like me, I'm going to do what everybody else wants to do because at the end of the day, when we go back to camp, I want us to be back happy again. Tyson, Sandra is saying, I'm pretty much good with anything as long as it doesn't involve the letters S-A-N-D-R-A. 
Yeah, that's definitely something you can count on, and Sandra is the most solid person in Survivor history at that strategy. I mean, what, this is her fourth time? And that's the way it works out. So I think when it came to this vote, I think that you had two groups of four. You had the Lone Wolves that we've talked mm-hmm. about, Yule, Wendell, Sophie, and Nick. Uh, unlike Tyson, I remember all of their names. Uh, and... <laughs> Then you have the kind of connected big threat players, which is Tyson himself, Kim, Sarah, and Tony. And then you had Sandra, who would be one of those big threat players. But I think that she was the swing vote kind of in this. She was, yeah. Um, Because it seemed like those four were solid in wanting to go for Nick. Mm -hmm. And so I guess the question is, did Sandra make the right call in sticking with Tyson, which I think ultimately led them all to stick with Tyson as the vote? It is amazing that her strategy and how she can convince other people to play along with her strategy, even though it's only meant just for her. If there wasn't a tribe swap, that we would be looking at this Tyson vote much differently. We would have been like, well, Sandra, Sandra Tony's next on the chopping block, and it's most likely going to force her to use her immunity idol. And that would have changed her whole game. But now... She votes out Tyson. She kind of keeps a lot of relationships at bay on the DeKal tribe. And now she's heading into a tribe swap with an idol and, you know, free range to play whatever game she wants to play. And like you said, she's probably going to continue her strategy, which mainly works because of her resume. I like wrote down from your thing of why only Sandra can play this anybody but me strategies because like she has a resume that people know this about her and they're like well we can always just use her as a vote she's always going to be that middle person that swing vote and she's known for being able to work with anybody exactly yeah and it's what makes her game so good and you know i mean like they named a bench after her this episode that was the sandra sandra is just like great tv but like no one else can play like this. I don't think anyone else in Survivor, whether you're in a new season or whether you're a returning player, it's really, really tough to play like this. Rob, who is great social player, can never play like this. Oh, absolutely. Parv not. can never play like this. And it's just fascinating how we talk about like how Rob is a mastermind. Chris Ryan always says he's how impressed he is with Rob's game and his ability to play Survivor. Sandra is, the, is literally the other side of it is she's not playing Rob's alpha conversation game. Like, yes, sure, Sandra's an alpha in conversations, but that's not her brand. Her strategy is like, let me just help out whoever when I need to help them out for literally me and only me. Yeah, and what's interesting to me, I think it's very risky for Sandra because the the thing about this strategy, I think it's risky for Sandra because it is an under-the-radar strategy, which has worked for her previously, but she cannot fly under the radar in this season. Maybe she has through the first five episodes or so, but it'll be impossible for her to do that long-term. She is the only two-time winner. She's the queen. People openly call her that. I mean, she is one of the biggest fish in this pond, and so I don't know how far she'll be able to take this strategy. Granted, I don't know how far she'll be able to take any strategy with that level, level of threat level, but... To some extent, Tyson is right that she does need to keep some shields around her. You know, it did backfire on her in Game Changers, the strategy, right? So it doesn't always work. And obviously, this is her fourth time playing. And who knows if it's going to work this time. But you're right. Like, this strategy is highly risky. You're playing a... um, a kind of wild game without any foundation. Like, she's... she's 
hoping on the the luck of karma and good draws and timing of moves. Look how lucky she's gotten already. She got an idol from Natalie, arguably the most powerful transfer and we thing that's happened that, so far this season. We think that idol dies after the next tribal council because I oh, think really? it, I think it was a three. You get it for three tribal okay. councils. So either it died already, yeah, because they weren't going to tribal, or it's three tribal councils that you actually in. attend, in which case the next tribal would be the last one that she can use. And look look at this karma for her. Like, she's going to be safe for that next vote regardless, and that's what, like, two episodes away from the merge? Yeah. But you're right. Like, she's going to need a meat shield, and luckily for her, and what I'm really the most excited about this upcoming season is when it's Sandra versus Rob. And it turned, and that yeah. that thing we got hinted at early on the season during all those preview clips, and like literally Sandra's first audio bite of her being really disappointed in Rob and for lying to her apparently uh, when they were on Island of the Idols, that is gonna be the most fascinating part of the show for me if they're both on because they're both the biggest, their own biggest meat shields. Like, wouldn't they want to keep each other on for a decent period to like? shield themselves and also create that like fight and we know that rob and tyson are friends and it doesn't seem like they voted out tyson because specifically because of his connection with rob the way that they did with amber obviously Mm -hmm. but rob might see it that way and it does seem unfortunate to me that rob and sandra aren't going to work together because that seems to be their best path forward is to use each other um but who knows you know we don't know i think the thing, my ultimate takeaway is I think Tyson and Sandra were both right about the way that they see their game. Mm-hmm. And I think that if this tribal council had happened maybe one or two episodes ago, so further away from a swap, further away from a merge, sure. Sandra might have said, you know what? It is right to keep Tyson around. But when we're so close to a shuffle of the game, that's when it makes more sense to keep the peace. I think, I think that Tyson is ultimately right that it would have been the correct move to get rid of Nick but it was not the right move at that time. It was the wrong timing for him. This game's all about timing. and We talk about that all the time. It's about when you make the move. And I think they made the right move at the right time. Nick, way less of a threat post this tribe swap slash merge than Tyson is. Man, this is like, it's just, I'm so curious as to how this tribe swap is going to turn out because we, we might, next week, you might think differently about that Tyson vote. We might just be like, wow, Sandra and Tony and Sarah really shot themselves in the foot. Now they're just isolated and in in trouble, you know? Especially if that lone wolf alliance stays strong. If they get into the merge, I mean, those are the people I am kind of most scared of in this game right now. So you had a chance to take out one of them. You didn't take it. That Mm -hmm. truly might. Tough beat. That could have big end game consequences. Mm -hmm. Let's move on to our superlatives. So we're going to run through these. Let's start with our best move of the episode. Sean, I'll let you go first. What was your best move? I think uh, I, I bounced off what you put down first, and it's it's just Rob being a mastermind in this game. And, and we didn't obviously get to see the move play out because um, they won the challenge. But the moment when um, Rob and Parv are sitting together and discussing that they're on the bottom and they need to do something, and then you get a, you get a cut to Rob, Parv, and Adam talking— and this conversation, I had it in quotes because you're just seeing the progression of Rob and the way his mind works and the way his instincts work. And I think it just shows how incredible he is and how how at a different level he's playing than anyone else. So he goes, 
to Adam. This is all just Rob quotes, and Adam has his, you know, whatever he says. But Rob goes, we can flip back and start over. I mean, I can say it, I could say to anyone, Adam, who knows who knows the trust in the game? You know what I'm saying? Should we and then this Adam Adam like leaves and he goes, Should we bury him? To Parvati. To Parv. I could just go and make up the story. And in that instant, he even tells Adam his plan. It's really a, a very like mob boss move to be like, here's what I'm going to do, Adam. And then he goes and does it. And it illustrates just how poor Adam's position is in the game. Yeah. That he can just tell Adam, I'm going to make up this lie about you. Goes and does it. And Adam can't even say anything because no one will believe him no right one. now. He lost all that trust. And a fascinating thing about this season, and I think... Um, I think it's why this season is working so well is obviously the older people, the veterans, the Robs, the Sandras are the biggest threats coming to the game and they have the targets on their back. But what the new people don't really understand is that they're fans of the game, obviously, right? So you saw the interaction with Ben that I know you pointed out in the previous pod of Ben literally getting f- just fooled by Rob, just to his face. Rob just turning owned, to a puddle. Yeah. yeah, literally to his face. And you're like, these young people are interacting with Robs and the Sanders as fans. They're fans of them. So they're like coming down to them already on lower on the step. They're already feeling like they're below them, whether in a, in a regular season or if they're a season with other winners, but they're not these legends. Like they would be on the same level, right? You would want to think that you're playing on the same level with these guys, but no, it's like, oh, I got to come to Rob and Parv and try to make amends, but protect my game. It's like, no, like they're your competitors, not like you're not trying to like appease these cool kids, you know, like, but it is an advantage for these, these players like Robin Parv, like there's, they're being seen as these like legends. And so like you automatically are on this pedestal and Rob is a hundred percent taking advantage of it. It's great to see him take advantage of it. It was funny how they pointed out that dynamic so explicitly at tribal council (laughs) where Nick was like, oh, I used to have a crush on poverty or whatever. And it was like, man. Parvati is going to steamroll you if you oh get on the same God. drive. Like, I, I just, like, you think she won't understand how to use that to her advantage? Oh, my God. Um, it's so and, true. Like, and, and, like, the thing is, like, Adam, Nick, all these, like, Survivor mega fans, they know their games. They know these people's games, yet they're being fooled by it. Literally, right in front of them. Right. But there is a chance for, for those who are not intimidated to just lay low and be like, hey, I can can fly under the radar. Wendell, Sophie, like. They, totally. You know, yeah. Like, we've talked about them. I mean, they, they're, you know, the ones who can do well. Mm-hmm. And there's also the chance for people to kind of not play a type a little bit. I thought it was so funny when Yule was like, I expected Tony to be an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Tony was just laughing about it because that's actually one of the reasons Tony won his season is that even though he played such an erratic, crazy game, he was very likable. That's yeah. the whole point. Man, like, I I, I think Tony, like, I, I, I I'm not going to put him on the best move, but he's playing a really good season. We talk about this all the time. We're, I love Tony. We're both really impressed with Tony's game and his, like, change of theme in his own life of not being erratic and just being like the friendly he guy. He tried this season. I mean, I mean or this episode. We he tried got to the sprint. Up. We got the Tony sprint, the Running. vintage Tony sprint. But like it was to it was not to like help his own game necessarily. It was to help his crew's game. Obviously he wants to meet Shield around and Tyson, but like I just love the way he's playing this game right now this season. Tony just needs someone around him who can help him chill a little bit. And then he's very smart. He's a, I think he's a very good player. Yeah. 
And Sarah is kind of serving that role for him right now. That's Trish a... was that person for most mm-hmm. of Kagayan. Sarah for some of it, mostly Trish. And if he can do that, and he basically just not blow up his own game and self-destruct, he could go very, very far. Anyways, we're getting a little bit off topic. My best move was also the Rob, Jeremy, Michelle thing. I feel like I've picked Rob a a few times for the best move, but I think it's remarkable that he hasn't even had his name written down one time. This guy comes in, he's the only five-time player now, and has as big a target as anybody. I think it would be the biggest target. And that he hasn't even really ever been targeted at a tribal council is unbelievable so he deserves them he gets the best moves agreed because he's pulling them and being able to still navigate that i mean who knows you would think that if if they had lost that challenge they almost did uh that he would have been the first name thrown out there but he was already making the moves to make sure it wasn't him or that you know there was just chaos in general in that camp i mean he's playing the game great i'm so impressed he's playing on another level it's amazing to watch so let's do worst move I'm not sure I have one, but I do have thoughts on what you wrote down. So, so tell, tell us about your worst I, I move. I said I wanted to say Nick for wasting his vote on Kim, but when I went back and watched the full vote, the Tyson vote was unanimous, and he got a fire token out of it. And so, like, it really wasn't that bad of a move. And, like, my second bullet point was, like, everyone is so good at this game that it's, like, almost difficult to see someone have a misstep, a severe misstep. And if you do, you're gone. You know, like, it's yes. just that move is going to snowball and it's going to hurt you. But... Yeah, like Nick voting on Kim, he essentially wasted a vote, and I guess it kind of like lessened him as a threat moving on because he like I just wanted to vote Kim. I just wanted to, I thought I thought Tyson had an idol and use that as an excuse. But I like, see it totally differently. So what I think happened was that Nick knew that either the tribe was with him and they were voting Tyson, or they were against him and he was screwed. And there's one other scenario he's screwed, which is that Tyson has an idol. Right. So by voting Kim, what would have happened? is that if the tribe is with him, but Tyson does have an idol, it would have been a 1-1 tie, Kim and Nick, each with one vote. And then they probably, on a re-vote, vote out Kim. Sure. Who is on the bottom. Yeah. Who he, he knows is on the bottom. So he was protecting himself from the slim possibility that Kim had an idol. I was stunned when he, he threw up Kim. I was like, is Kim going home? That's what and I thought, then yeah. if you listen to him, he's like, hey, it should be Tyson in this vote. Worried I'm about just, the idol. I'm worried about the idol. That, I think that's all that vote was. He he basically was in on it. He wanted Tyson to go home. Obviously, he was very adamant about getting Tyson out. Uh, and he was just protecting himself from the chance of there being an idol. Mm-hmm. And, he, and they didn't have to do anything dramatic like a, like a 3-3 vote split nope. or something like that because they knew it's either the whole tribe's in on Tyson or it's going to be 5-4 and I'm screwed anyways. And, you know, if Sele didn't win, the obvious worst move would have been Adam just for his entire gameplay the last two the two, yeah. se- two episodes. But we, we ripped on Adam in the last episode <laughs> of this podcast, and I, I'm sort of like, well, he didn't actually do anything wrong specifically in this episode. He's just playing the roughest game so far. Yep. Granted, he's been there before. As we've said, I don't want to diss too much on Adam because he's been on the bottom before and worked his way back. That's how he won his season. So you cannot count him out at this point. Um, all right, let's wrap it up with our front runners to win. It's kind of too early to pick really a real front runner. Sure is. There, there are a dozen people who could still win this game. There's only a few that I feel like probably aren't winning. And there's always people can come back on Edge of Extinction too. So who really knows at this point? But we can at least identify people who are in a good position. So I'll start on this one. Yeah. I think that the Wendell, Nick, Yule, Sophie, Lone Wolf Alliance Lone Wolf, baby. is in great shape. 
This is just, if, I, if I'm on an all-winners season with all of these big threats, all of these big fish players, I am trying to lay low and just get to the merge. That's when the real game starts for me. And I think that not only are these people doing that, they are forming a pretty solid alliance that if they do make it to the merge, they can easily come together and work together. This seems like a group that's going far in this game. Uh, I'm totally with you. I think by episode two, when that alliance was really starting to get legs, I was like, I actually like all four of these people in terms of the way they play the game and them just as people and the way their personalities show on the interviews. I think what's fascinating is how really they're not letting anyone see that this alliance is actually a thing. The one hint that you might have got was when at the end of Tribal last night when Nick was like, oh, God, I was so worried. And Sophie, like, reaches around and taps his knee and is like, don't worry, you're okay. But that's mainly just, like, a comforting a guy who's, like, panicked. You haven't really seen it. Like, even when Yule did his whole, like, 10 days or 10 days, he's going around hugging everyone. He had a really subdued hug with Sophie, who's, like, on his on his alliance. And it was just, like, a really subtle way of, like, let's not let anyone know that this is a thing until we really need to let people know. Tyson kind of, he obviously identified he, those shared, four on players. Like a, on, like, a hypothesis, right? Like, like He didn't really say that they were playing together. He was like, these four are playing under the radar. But he wasn't like, they're in an alliance that we have to break up. Mm-hmm. Tony was a little more explicit about that. He was like, if they pick off... Uh, you know, Tyson will be next. They're running the show or whatever. So I think Tony might have a clearer grasp that those people are aligned. Granted, it, it might also actually be unclear to us exactly how strong that alliance is. There's never an alliance where, oh, it's four people and they all have equal bonds with right. each other. There's going to be two of them aren't going to be as close with the others and someone's on the bottom. And we don't really have that granular level of detail for these people yet. But I think all of them are playing solid games Yule really calling the shots. He seems to have a relationship with everyone on the tribe because Tyson's talking to him about all kinds of stuff. I mean, Yule has been massively impressive, but in a very like kind of backseat way. My, I think like I, within the lone wolf, I was like trying to pick out who I think. If we had to pick favorites. one, it, it probably Yule because he's playing such a precise game, but he's playing it in a social way that he has never really played in his season on Cook Islands where instead of doing math, he's just like, I need to build relationships and almost he's doing what Adam tried to do. He's playing the middle everywhere, but Yule's playing the middle everywhere knowing that he has this core four that is really strong and could eventually dictate the game from here on out. I think that the other person to highlight from that group is Sophie, yep. who who I've highlighted before, but you know, Kim going and giving her half of the idol is not for nothing. <laughs> Sophie is all over the place, and she's got Yule, her nerd meat shield. Uh-huh. Um, she is playing a great game, and Tyson literally could not remember her name. That's how under the radar she is. I mean, she is on nobody's, nobody's. target list. And that's a really good way to get yourself to the final three. And just hearing her in a confessional is like, she can totally sell her way to a win. Absolutely. And- Very well-spoken. Sean, I'll ask you. So we just highlighted four players from the Decal mm-hmm, tribe. Mm-hmm. Is there anybody from Sele that you think particularly stands out in a strong position. This is this is what I want to know. Yeah, um, I mean, Jeremy has an advantage, and he has his connection with Nat, who's just his his banker and her financier, his financier. But I think surprisingly, I don't like the way his ga- he plays his game. But I think Ben has a really strong shot at this and really good momentum. Like he hasn't gone idol hunting once, and that's what has won him his season is him being on the bottom and idol hunting and winning literally every elimination out of just sheer heart and will. 
I think he's in a really good spot. Like he has his connection with the the newbies on that tribe. It's him, Jeremy, Michelle, Adam, and I think Denise is their swing vote that she's probably in with them right now. And she has he helped her find the idol. Right. So there's a connection there with Ben and Denise. And Ben could easily depending on where the next set of episodes go, like he could easily throw Adam under the bus. He can easily pop up like heighten up Michelle as being a great social threat. And he has that like kind of fun dynamic with Rob of like, like, I respect you. I idolize you. Teach me your ways. Kind of like mentor mentee relationship. And that could go a long way. Honestly, Rob could keep him around in his side pocket for a while. Ben's an interesting player. Cause I know that we've, we've kind of ripped on him for, you, you know, melting like butter in front of Rob in that first episode. <laughs> uh, strategically, he is not one of the big shots on this season, yeah. but he's very well liked. And he has a lot of connections, as we're talking about. We obviously know that he can find idols as well as anybody. And there is a reason why on his season, he was so obviously the person to beat for a number of episodes heading into the finale. It was like the last seven episodes. Yeah, they were just trying like hell to get him out. And he always had an idol. Uh, And then obviously there was the fire making twist that helped him Mm -hmm. ultimately get to the end. But you know, I could see something like that happening too. But the reason he was so, such an obvious winner was because everyone loves him. And that could be the same case in this season. You just can never underrate people who are just well-liked in Survivor and how far that can get you. It, it, it has won many people millions of dollars. And it, it could potentially win Ben with this strategy, two million. All right. I think that that is a good Ooh. note to wrap it up on. That's all the time we have. Thank you for listening to The Pod Is Spoken. I'm Riley Macti. That's Sean Yu. Steve Allman is our producer. We will be back here on the Ringer Dish Feed next Thursday to break down the next episode. See you then. Mm-hmm.